Hi there, this is William Green. I'm the Guernsey Press Business Editor, and this is the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. We're here with Nico Bezadenhout, the CEO of Aurini, the Guernsey Airline. So Nico, Aurini's been in the headlines a lot recently. Tell us a bit about the plans that you've got for the airline. Oh, well, thanks for the opportunity. Yes, I think that um, Aurini obviously plays a critical role in the economy and connectivity for the bailiwick as a, as a whole. Um, the last two years have been tough on Aurini as it has been on global aviation with Globally Airlines losing just in the first year $370 billion in, in revenue. Aurini equally has been has been impacted. As we now emerge from the pandemic, it's all about um, how do we do more with less? How do we get the business back to a, uh, a black into the black, so to speak? Um, and how do we enhance connectivity uh, to, to, to the bailiwick? So we've done a couple of things. We've um, launched services between Guernsey and uh, Exeter, Guernsey and Birmingham. Uh, replacing services previously served by another another carrier. Uh, we've launched uh, a partnership with Blue Islands to provide a uh, regular and uh, good coverage schedule into Southampton. We've put flights on sale to Dublin to commence early in next year, and that was in direct response to requests received from the from the business community. We've started to work on simplifying our fleet. Uh, one of the 70 ATR 72500 aircraft is being returned to Alessa in November this year. Uh, and even though we'll have fewer aircraft, we'll be producing the same number of seats and same number of flights next year as we did in 2019. So, so doing more flights with less input cost. During the course of the pandemic, we reduced our headcount by as much as 18%. Uh, equally, our fixed no-rate cost for this year to date has been reduced by 18%. We've um, put some flights on sales to destinations, weekend break destinations in uh, across Europe, so Cologne, Amsterdam, Bordeaux, Prague, um, and these these have been very well received in the in the community. They sold out within uh, a number of hours in terms of the outside uh, the outbound journeys. And and do those those specials, as we might call them, do they make profit? Our intent with these specific ones was to break even. As you can imagine, we've got sunk investment and sunk cost in terms of aircraft assets. So from that standpoint, to put them productive, to productive use and cover the variable expense, uh, therefore makes, makes financial sense. So in this specific case, uh, our price points were affordable and fairly, fairly low. We, we did not expect them to sell as well. So basically what ends up happening is um, we're breaking even, even though the inbound journey um, has not been sold as yet. So this gives us an opportunity to work with hotel providers on island and with Visit Guernsey and make inbound flights available for people from uh, Cologne and Prague and Amsterdam onto the island at very, very low fares. That way stimulating inbound um, tourism. And are you hopeful of getting those seats sold as well? Have you got any seats sold yet on those flights? We, in, the, inbound into Guernsey, that is. They are, they are starting to sell. Um, I think that we'll, we'll also use it in a sense as a trial. If, if we can't sell those seats because of the fact that Guernsey may be an unknown quantum in some of these locations, 
Um, what we'll do then is we'll bring travel agents across from those destinations so that we start planting the seed and marketing Guernsey as a destination. But on the whole, though, um, to your question, it uh, financially serves our interest. Uh, there's a positive contribution. We've intentionally not to try and optimize profits in the sense of charging very high high fares. Um, and that's where we've given uh, Guernsey residents the opportunity to get get off the island and experience some new locations. And do you, do you expect those specials to continue into next year as well? Yes, most definitely. We'll be we'll do our normal summertime uh, European destinations, and look uh, going forward to provide more of these city break destinations. It is our function to connect um, the island for purposes of both. Uh, tourism, inbound tourism, but also outbound leisure travel. And then, of course, our primary function is to make sure that we continue providing high-frequency connectivity into the financial centre of London to support the finance sector of the island. And do you think people's travel habits have changed as a result of COVID insofar as perhaps people want to avoid more busy airports? They'd rather go direct, perhaps, and pay a little bit more for that even? We are seeing some of that, and it's not dissimilar to what happened after 9-11, where consumers tend to um, want more direct services, spend less time at airports uh, if, if possible. So we are seeing that, that demand picking up. we also seeing that business traffic is more impacted by, by the pandemic rather than leisure traffic. Uh, consumers are getting more and more used to using things like Teams and, and remote interaction technologies. So I think that for the foreseeable future, the aviation landscape will be a little bit different. And it's also for that reason why we've seen in especially neighbouring islands some routes and carriers cancelling services um, that, that's not fully viable. In terms of those business travel traveller market, how much reduction have you seen pre-pandemic to, to the situation now and do you see that as a permanent reduction in business travel? It is still a bit early to state um, because we, we do live in totally abnormal conditions at the moment. Um, I think that if I look around uh, my colleagues in, avi- in the aviation world, there's up to 20% reduction expected to probably be in place for a good two years in terms of short-haul travel, um, long-haul travel, Uh, maybe even longer. Uh, So the shorter the travel, the quicker the response and recovery time. The longer the travel, the longer the recovery time. In terms of the business itself, Aurini business, how much of a component was that business market? How much have you lost in terms of the business market, the actual hard cash, so to speak? The overall business profile on Aurini services up to 20 to 25% of our total passengers uh, is typically business business related travel again our impact in a sense have been offset slightly by the fact that we've launched new routes so so we've backfilled capacity that was previously for example provided by by flyby um, so that that has compensated we saw in august that we had about 59 percent of our passenger volumes that we would have had in august 2019 when I contrast that to statistics made available by Heathrow, Heathrow said that in August this year they saw 10% of the passenger volumes they saw in 2019. So our recovery pattern is quicker, um, and I think it's a function of living on an island. So 
73% of the people coming on and off this island is with, with air transportation. So we'll be slightly less impacted vis-a-vis -vis alternative means of transportation. Um, and again, 52% of our passengers are island residents who still want to go visit friends and have to do business off-island. Off so I don't expect our impact will be as material as you would have seen in some other cases. Uh, having said that, um, Orini is a business that has suffered losses in the past and it's imperative that we get this business into a financial and uh, sure footing. Um, that's the only way we can be an economic enabler and a sustainable provider of connectivity on and for off the island. So from our standpoint, we are doing everything possible to make sure that we uh, adjust to a world of less revenue. So a world where we use our aircraft assets better, our people better, eliminate losses and then try and keep the cost of air travel low so that we can stimulate additional demand. So fixing the balance sheet is a first step. The next step is to simplify our fleet. When an airline operates multiple aircraft types, you realize tremendous inefficiencies as far as maintenance, concerns, spares holding, staff and people, productivity and efficiency. Every aircraft type needs a different pilot license, for example, so therefore it's distinct crew sets. So to the extent that we can simplify our fleet, um, we will end up reducing cost. Now, Orini operates predominantly three major types and then sub-variants. So we operate the ATR-72 and sub-variants of it, um, as I, we'll be eliminating one of them, returning back to a lessor. So then we'll be, have a standard 72600 aircraft fleet. Then we operate the ATR, uh, the, the Dornier aircraft. We operate the Dornier aircraft very specifically to provide both a medical evacuation as well as passenger services into Alderney. That aircraft type is required because of the runway being so short in Alderney. We are engaging with the states to perform an, a feasibility study to simply see would a longer runway um, where we can then use our ATR aircraft fleet be more advantageous and reduce the cost of the public service obligation contract we've got to service Alderney such that it makes, makes sense in the hands of the taxpayer. From an Arini standpoint, we're ultimately somewhat indifferent in the sense that we've got a public service obligation contract in play. We are now, from, to, from January this year, being paid for the service that we deliver to, to uh, especially the medical evacuation service that we provide to Alderney. So from that standpoint, uh, it's indifferent, we're indifferent. Having said that, from the taxpayer standpoint, the cost of that service can be reduced by simplifying the way we deliver it. So it's a straightforward calculation. How much does it cost to extend the runway versus how much do you save annually in the hands of the taxpayer by having a standardized fleet in operation? And, and I guess I guess it's not, it's the kind of, like you said, it's that sort of uh, calculation whereby you might have a, a what seems like a big outlay on the runway, but actually it might be paid back in five, ten years. A bit like your solar panels almost. Yes, uh, exactly the same thing. Uh, when you consider that there's £12 million of capital tied down in the specific aircraft type that is used to service the Alderney runway, uh, if you could uh, move out those aircraft and replace that with a runway, 
even from a capital expenditure standpoint, you end up being fairly neutral. So what do you mean by uh, capital expenditure held down in those aircraft? What does that mean? The two Dornier aircraft uh, were acquired at a price of £6 million each. Those Dornier aircraft serve no other purpose than to serve Aldney's runway. Conceivably, I'd rather sell those Dornier aircraft and reinvest those funds in, say, for example, runway extension, and that allows me to then service the Aldney services with the ATR aircraft, the benefit for the consumers in Aldney is that you still maintain your morning and evening flights and connectivity to Guernsey. You still maintain your daily connectivity to Southampton, except you have a bigger aircraft taking between 50, depending on payload restrictions, between 50 and 72 passengers. Um, you've got more backup and redundancy in the sense that I've got my whole fleet that, that can rotate through there. You've got 30,000 seats more a year going in and out of, of Aldney. Plus, it opens up the scope for generally more generally general aviation aircraft going in and out of Alderney and specialist air ambulance services rather than trying to mix buses and ambulances in terms of a commercial airline providing the medical vacation service. And without jumping the gun on it, how long would a runway take to extend in Alderney? Uh, it's not my forte, but I would expect that the actual runway work, there's two components of it. You need to extend the runway, and then to handle slightly larger aircraft, you need to do some terminal work. Although I would put it forward that I think that the terminal in Alderney needs work either which way. Um, so those are the two elements. The runway work is the easier component of it, and that coincides with scheduled maintenance that's due on that runway in any event. Um, I would guess at this point, but the actual work could be completed for the runway bit by the end of next year. So so relatively rapidly then. Um, we'll come back, if that's okay, in a minute to the, uh, the, the Embraer jet, but quickly on the runway issue, it's a long-running topic in Guernsey, as you've probably realised since, you, since you've come to the island. What's your take on the, uh, the, the, the runway issue? Okay, the, uh, the Guernsey runway seems to be a bit of a contentious issue. Um, I think that we need to take one step back in terms of um, why are we having the discussion about a runway extension. Um, and, and from what I can, my reading of the situation is that our problem was not that we wanted a longer runway. Our problem was that we want more affordable airfares to some destinations where we believe we can attract low-cost carriers. So that's the problem statement, is not, not a runway in itself. It's the fare levels that we believe that could enable. Um, I think that if we're realistic about the situation, we've seen Wizz Air, for example, cancel routes into Jersey this year. Um, there's no there's no fait accompli that the market size in Guernsey would justify and attract a low-cost carrier to commence operations into, into Guernsey. And to the extent that it does, there are potentially some lessons to be learned from, for example, the Isle of Man, where you've had the entry of a low-cost carrier, but the number of flights per day more than halved, and that consequently impacted on the finance sector who wanted the high-frequency connectivity into, into London. So whilst I'm in principle not against low-cost carriers, and quite frankly my first airline I ever started was a low-cost carrier, and that's really where my roots are, one has to be careful in terms of what you ask for and understand what the consequences are and also understand whether you're ready to cater for those consequences. Can we accommodate um, loads of inbound tourists uh, with our available bed stock? Um, does our infrastructure accommodate it? What is the consequential impact of frequency on the finance sector? 
and taking it back to what is it that we wanted to achieve and maybe ask the question, is there a more efficient way of achieving that exact same thing? If it is getting the airfares between Guernsey and Gatwick down by 15 pounds in summertime because we believe we're going to get more tourists, isn't there an alternative way of achieving that? We, we did so in 2019 when a subsidy was provided to Ethro. Um, there may be more effective ways, lower cost of capital ways, to achieve the same objective. Could Aurini be the carrier to, 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 to take that idea forward? I think Aurini can be, and Aurini, um, but, but so could others. Um, our, our view simply is one that um, we want to cooperate, we want to understand what the problem is, what problem are we solving for, and then see how we can constructively participate at, in obtaining solutions that's going to be in the best interest for all of us as, as residents of the island. The airport, obviously, there are landing charges, that kind of thing, I expect. If you reduce those, would that help as well? Could that actually increase passenger numbers, which would then have a greater economic benefit? Almost going back to that ordinary issue, you know, where the calculation is actually if you reduce that bit, you actually get a greater result here. And given that both the airline... Orini and the airport are owned by the state, by the people of Guernsey. Are you robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit at the moment? No, of course, I think that overall it is about um, it is about the over, anything that reduces the overall cost of not just the air travel journey, but also the accommodation. Now, it's um, one in every four pounds spent by a tourist is spent on the actual transportation bit. The other three pounds is on other aspects. And unless we reduce, if, if affordability is the key point that we focused on, unless we make the overall price more affordable, um, I fear we will, will not be successful. Now, whether we can use airport taxes, whether we use directional incentives, for example, if it is that you were trying to incentivize inbound travel for tourism's sake, then surely you'd be incentivizing inbound travel and not outbound travel. Um, so frame the objective and then make sure that we align the value proposition, both the airline and the ground service and the whole hostelry industry to that objective and pull in the same direction. Um, what is utterly value destructive is to do things piecemeal or to pull in opposite directions. I don't mind if we even go in the wrong direction as long as we go in the same direction. And, and um, going back, if we may, to the, to the Embraer jet... Obviously, it's very much loved by certain quarters in Guernsey. It's almost like a, a flag carrier, almost a kind of emblem, a symbol of Guernsey. Some people might be worried that if that jet goes, somehow we won't be seen in the same way as a jurisdiction. Uh, I get very mixed responses to the jet. Um, there are most definitely there, there, there are some people who prefer simply flying on a jet. Um, my wife falls in that category. She'd prefer a jet over a turboprop any day of the week. Then you get others who attached uh, ego and self-image to having a jet. Um, and then you get others who's just all about financial return and what works. So we've got a mixed bag that we're dealing with. Um, looking at purely as an aviator, I think that firstly it has to be said that the the Embraer 195 was the right choice at the time, I, I believe. Um, at the time in 2014, there were runway restrictions and slot restrictions in Gatwick, needed the higher capacity, and the jet, and the Embraer is a good aircraft, no doubt. 
Um, what you've now seen happening to your earlier question around uh, will there be a reduction on business traffic? And I believe there will be some to some extent. So a port like Gatwick will be impacted. Now, Gatwick is connected to more European cities than any other port in the UK, including including Heathrow. It is a great connecting port, um, especially for Europe. Uh, the restrictions on the runway, uh, the northern runway, the emergency runway that they now want to re reposition for, for regular use, that would add an additional 100,000 flights per year in terms of capacity into, into Gatwick. So simultaneously, you've got an increase in capacity and potentially a reduction in demand, which means that you don't have slot restrictions going forward, uh, or at least not for the foreseeable five to 10 year period. So on that basis, um, it may well be possible that we could get more frequencies, which may allow us to service, uh, it negates the need, the, the functional need for the jet, which then may allow us to operate a standardized single fleet type of ATR-72-600 aircraft with the uh, concomitant cost and, and efficiency benefits. The challenges that I do see with the Embraer is that it's, abnormal to operate one aircraft of a type in your fleet. Um, you don't have the backup capabilities, um, especially considering that it's a 122-seater. So my backup for the 122-seater is a 72-seater. Now, it's not very practical. Um, you have the cost and efficiencies of spares holding and, again, licensing of maintenance crew as well as, as, well as pilots. Um, the reliability aspect hasn't been such a major issue because the aircraft has been very reliable. And like I've stressed, it is a very dependable aircraft. But the aircraft will get older, and then you will have uh, some reliability creeping up. On, on Ireland, we've, we've had generally, not just through Orini, but other carriers operating onto the island have had a fairly good on-time performance record. The Guernsey's on-time performance record is better than the average of the, the UK. Um, and we'd like to keep it keep it that way, um, simply based on the fact that obviously the finance sector, which is by far the largest sector on the, on the economy, has got a need for reliable and dependable air services. So that plays into our whole consideration around the jet. Um, we will be doing the feasibility on it in the next three months or so, and then come to a conclusion. If the conclusion is that we, for example, can't obtain more landing slots in Gatwick, and um, the Embraer is a path forward, well then so be it. Then our to focus and attention will then go on to making sure we manage the reliability of the aircraft as the aircraft ages. If however it proves that um, it is viable to swap the aircraft out, then we'll put a plan in place and it will not be an overnight exercise. Um, our crews will then have to be retrained on additional ATR aircraft, so we're not envisaging, as we are not envisaging of the Dorniers to have a negative impact on our employees. Um, ultimately, we already suffered an 18% reduction in headcount during the pandemic. We don't foresee further impacts. But um, then we'll make that decision. Um, as far as both the Dorniers and the Embraer is concerned, our basic financial plan for the next five years does not take account of the benefits that will accrue um, simply because it's not a fate to complete at this point in time. So the financial plan that sees us breaking even by 2023 has got potential upside to it. As of course, given that we live in an uncertain world and don't know how the pandemic will ebb and flow uh, further for the next couple of years, um, there's potential downside too, 
Um, but I'm happy to say there's some upside potential. And, and just talking about that kind of look ahead, did you mention there that you could increase the frequency into Gatwick, for example? What, what will the service look like into Aurini's uh, network of destinations? Will it be increasing? Will it stay the same? What's the outlook there? I think that generally speaking, is, I'm, I'm very encouraged in terms of the early uptake of the Dublin service. Uh, if, if that kind of demand continues to grow the way it has in the first couple of months of it being on sale, then we'd probably like to see more frequency, week, um, up from two frequencies a week to probably three to four. Um, but it's early times, we have to see the actual once we start operating. Um, Dublin is of interest because it does provide connectivity into North America. Um, we will be announcing interline partnerships with at least two international carriers that provide connectivity out of, say, Gatwick, Birmingham, Dublin, Manchester, and so on. Um, we will also be expanding uh, and elaborating on our strategic partnership with both Logan Air as well as Blue Islands, where we're specifically looking at collaborating as far as procurement activities are concerned. So getting better scale into our procurement activities, uh, integrating our frequent flyer programs so that uh, members from the one program enjoys benefits on the other. So like a, a Guernsey Star Alliance, perhaps? Pretty much. Um, I've, I've had my exposure to Star Alliance and exactly exactly that concept. Um, so, uh, And then also making sure that our networks properly integrate. So connecting over Manchester to Edinburgh, for example. Um, so... We're looking at not only expanding our own services in terms of direct our own metal that we operate, but also through interlining and co-chairing where appropriate. We already have a, an existing relationship with Eastern Airways. We've already announced our partnership with Blue Islands as far as Southampton, Birmingham, and ex Southampton specifically, but also co-chairing over Jersey with um, Blue Islands to provide uh, same-day connectivity into Birmingham and Exeter. So it is about partnerships, leverage, doing more with less, and increasing the productivity and output of our own aircraft and, and people. Those things holistically gets us to a position where the business can break even by 2023. And from then onwards, after that, uh, to the extent that we could increase profitability after that, the intent is obviously to pass that back in terms of a, a lower fair dividend, if I can put it that way. So when you look at that horizon, what's what's your kind of view on Aurini's future? Look, there's no doubt uh, Aurini, Aurini has, has a future to the extent that it can earn earn the right to a future, which is to be a financially self-sustainable business. It's imperative that Aurini has a future because, simply put, um, in the next year we're likely to carry about 80% of all passenger volumes to and from this island in terms of air connectivity. Um, the air connectivity that Aurini provides is absolutely crucial and critical to the finance sector, tourism sector, apart from the fact that we're one of the bigger employers on, on island. Um, in the next four years we'll plough back at least £40 million in the form of salaries and wages. Um, our supply chain on Ireland uh, adds about £35 million a year to the, to the local economy. So it's imperative that we get this right to be an economic enabler, uh, 
but to be financially and, of course, environmentally sustainable in doing so. Thank you very much indeed. Very good speaking to you. Appreciate it.